Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. your attention to a couple passages of scripture tonight and uh, um, we will be heading into a series before too long but let me just share this tonight with you from the book of John chapter 8 and uh, uh, verse 31 and then we'll be going to Proverbs chapter 23 and uh, verse 23 these are familiar passages of scripture what I'm talking about tonight is something that is familiar but I believe needful in this hour Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And notice that's uh, not a period after the end of indeed, but it's a continuation of thought. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And. There's a connection between continuing God's word and knowing truth. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23. Proverbs 23 and 23. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. I want to talk to you tonight. Let's teach on this lesson. Truth and consequences. Truth and consequences. Holy Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, God, so much to know, dear God, the truth that is found in your word that makes us, God, come alive. Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help me tonight. Help me, Lord Jesus, to be able to serve this God to your people in such a way that it's a blessing to them, that it equips us, that makes us better disciples. Grow in your grace in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. The Lord bless you and be seated. Truth and consequences. Truth and consequences. Truth is so valuable. Absolutely valuable today. We find that Pilate asked perhaps the question of questions for every generation, but specifically for this generation. Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, what is truth? truth. If you read in John chapter 8, you will find that he, he, he says, what is truth? Then turns around and walk away. <laughs> how, how can you be standing not only in front of God Almighty, robed in flesh, but truth personified, and then walk away? But yet people do that repeatedly today. They look truth dead in the eye and turn around and walk away. Amen. Jesus promised in this passage that it's not only possible to know truth, but truth is going to transform you. Truth is going to make you free. We live in what is known as a postmodern culture, a postmodern culture. And postmodernism and the thinking of postmodernism, quite frankly, if we say postmodernism, what really what I'm saying is the spirit of the of the age. The spirit of the age. Uh, but postmodern culture has ushered in the spirit of moral relativity 
uh, which, which basically states there is no such things as absolute truth, that people can define truth in contradictory ways, and everybody's right. You can have contradictory ways to believe something, look about it. And uh, also, moral relativism teaches that everything in life is negotiable. Nothing that we know can be certain. Nothing can be certain. And when it comes to morals and ethics, truth means different things to different people. You know, you have people that say that, you know, I have my truth and you have your truth. And when you don't have a moral bedrock for truth, where we're all plugged into the same concepts, then all of a sudden everybody's free to believe whatever they want to. And humans then are free to choose. And so by that teaching, the understanding of truth cannot be comprehended. I mean, truth is unknowable uh, in the postmodern uh, mentality. We find that Wikipedia Encyclopedia says this about moral relativism. It is the viewpoint that moral standards are not absolute, but instead emerge from social customs and other sources. The philosophical stance can be traced back at least as far back as Greek scholars who stated, quote, that man is the measure of all things. Man is the measure of all things. A modern interpretation of this statement might be that things exist only within the context of the people who observe them. Reality is within that context. So... This is postmodernism. But I've also come to learn through just some study and observation is that postmodernism is giving way to what is known as post truth culture. Post truth culture. Every year, Oxford Dictionary provides uh, what is known as their word of the year. It is usually a word that captures uh, the imagination or current trends of a culture. And in 2016, the word of the year was post-truth. Post-truth. Apologist uh, Abdul uh, Murray defines post-truth culture as a culture that elevates feelings and preference over facts and truth. So no longer is it a juggling over, well, is there such thing as absolute truth? Now it is your truth is defined by your feelings. Truth is defined by feelings. While postmodernism states that no one can really be sure of truth, post-truth culture refuses all objective truth and embraces emotions, feelings, and preferences. In the post-truth worldview, the reality then of gender, race, sexual preference has no bearing on truth, but rather how you feel. Can you imagine the consequences then later on that's going to come to our world and is coming to our... Do you know that anxiety is at all-time all high in our culture? Well, what is anxiety? It's a feeling. So when truth begins to be based on feeling, then how I feel defines the truth that I'm in. It defines my reality. If I feel bad, then that is my reality. 
Or if I feel good in something, whether it's right or wrong, if I feel good about it, then all of a sudden, by the, by the spirit of the age and the attitude of the age, then it becomes good. It becomes right. It becomes truth. It's be who I am because that's the way I feel about it. So if I don't like what the Bible says about heaven or hell because it makes me upset, I can change it. If I don't like what the Bible says about pain and suffering, I'll just change it to more to something that's easier to swallow. If I don't like what the truth says about living righteous and holy, then I'll make up my own standard because it goes along to how I feel. If I don't like the biblical plan of salvation, amen, if I don't like the message of the blood, the cross, and the tomb, and, and I don't like the message of Jesus being the only way to be saved, then all, I, I can redefine that because it makes me feel feel uncomfortable. It makes me feel bad. And according to the trend of this world and the spirit of this world, feelings define truth. Don't like what the Bible says about money? I'll just make up my own. Don't like what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, and all these things? You know, I just make up my own understanding. And so truth must be defined in our world today by a standard, by a test, if you please. The test is not according to your feelings. The test is not according to your feelings. The test is not according to the emotions. That sun is going to come up in the morning whether I feel bad or I feel good. The sun's coming up. That's a truth. Amen. It's a truth. Jesus said, let's go to the test of truth, point number two. Jesus said that we would know the truth and the truth would make us free. In a society that the culture now is in a hurricane of emotions where absolute has been turned upside down, how do when we know truth? Well, because the Bible said it. Oh, okay. Because my pastor said it. Oh, okay. Because, you, know, you know, that's what I've been taught all these years. That's what... I'm going to tell you what, you, you, you mark it down. We must be more ready to give an answer than ever before. We need to be very sure, not only in truth, but how, how do you define truth? What is it? How do, what's the test for truth? And, you know, Pilate then said, what is truth? In a court of law, truth is established by two perimeters, correspondence and coherence. Correspondence and coherence. Correspondence is, does it correspond to a reality? It's amazing how, how that everything changes when they step into a court of law. In today's world, in society and culture, so far it has not drifted into the court system as of yet. But outside you can say, well, I just felt like it. I felt like doing that. I felt like robbing the bank. That's my emotion. You watch it. That's where they're going to go. I was feeling like a robber. So I must be a robber. <clears throat> but in a court of law, all of a sudden, it's, oh, okay, what's the truth? What is the correspondence here in reality? And what is the coherence? Is it logically consistent? Is it logically consistent? Logicians study the science that deals with the criteria, criteria of validity or the science of the formal principles of re reasoning. Logicians. They have a test, a three-part test to test for truth. 
Let me share them with them, broken down to you. Logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and experiential relevance. I know that those are mouthful, but just hang on with me. Logical consistency, empirical adequacy, and then experiential relevance. These three things have been used for years to define what is truth. Christianity is logically consistent, without going into a long study in the whole process of but Christianity is logically consistent with things like the laws of thermodynamics. Christianity provides a consistent explanation as to where we are, where we come from, and why we are here. Do you realize that atheism has no answer for that? Why am I here? Has absolutely no answer for that. The Christian worldview can account for the laws of logic because we believe they reflect our God and his nature that is logical. That God is a logical being and can be understand. His ways are consistent. The sun's coming up in the morning. We know that. His ways, how he operates and what he does, he is a sovereign God and he is, he is in, in, in many ways very consistent as far as life is concerned. So logical consistency is a test for truth. The naturalist worldview cannot account for the laws of logic and absolutes anymore. When they throw absolutes away, they also throw logic away and throw reasoning away. There's no more sense for reasoning because now uh, you go by your feeling and not by logic or reasoning. Truth is logically consistent. The biblical truth is logically consistent with things like DNA. So there is a, and again, this could be a whole study within itself, is that truth is defined by logical consistency. Second test is empirical adequacy. Truth must be verifiable and testable. Truth has to hold up to test. Now, Christian worldview is not tested necessarily by a, a, a tube in a science lab, but rather it's a it's tested by examination of birth, life, prophecy, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It can, uh, if it can be falsified, it means it is lacking the necessary proof. For thousands of years, scholars have attacked the Word of God trying to destroy its, its validity. If they could have found the body of Jesus Christ, they would have found it. Don't you think the devil in hell would be trying very hard to make sure that everybody would know? But instead, we have to explain that away. But there is plenty evidence that can be tested. There can be, uh, 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 what do you do when they dig around the dirt? You know, Indiana Jones? Archaeological testing. There's archaeological proof. There is historical proof. There is prophetic proof. Prophecies that have been fulfilled, hundreds of them fulfilled from the Old Testament hundreds of years before, fulfilled in the New Testament. So there is empirical uh, uh, adequacy, which means it has been verified and tested. The third thing that shows that truth is truth is experiential relevance. The Christian worldview is the only one that explains the soul. 
that explains personality, imagination, reasoning, humor, and emotions as our soul. It makes us unique and distinct from others. Notice the attributes of the soul cannot be calculated or measured. They're not physical and cannot be proven by science. However, we all acknowledge the truth that our emotions exist, that our feelings exist, that our imagination and our wills and personality exist. And the scripture by experience reveals to us that. Emotions are a type of senses that require a mode of consciousness. Emotions are a very real part of every human experience. Here, here's, here's where, if I may step into this, when a person walks into a, a, a school and begins to kill people and shoot people and, and, and kill kids, they recently stopped a uh, 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 a 20-year-old man that had a, that as he was leaving his house, I believe in Kentucky, was leaving his house, they stopped him with a, a, a bunch of armor and, a, a, and guns and ammunition because his intent was to go into a school and begin to, he had a plan. They found his plan to go in and kill children. How do you explain that? A lot of people say, well, how do you explain a God that will allow that to happen? Well, how do you explain it happening? Is it, is, it, is it because of the laws of the land? Is it because of the school? Is it because of the kids? Or is it because of guns? Is it because of this? Or is it because of that? Or is it because of the soul that's messed up? Take, for instance, in our country, the Declaration of Independence that states that we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. No other worldview other than the Judeo-Christian worldview utters that phrase. Biblical truth is logically consistent and coherent it is verified by empirical adequacy, experience, and observation. Truth is also revealed by experiential re uh, relevance. Amen. You can know tr truth can be defined. You know it by, hey, this has been consistent over the years. Do you realize that there have been things that we have taught and preached over the years that we've changed? That we have changed because we realized we were wrong. Wait a second, Pastor. We were wrong. Yeah, there's some things that we have preached over the years. Let me give you just a little illustration. I preached for years that, that John the Baptist went out and, and he ate a locust and wild honey. Amen. He took him, him, him a locust bug, you know, big old grasshopper, poured him some honey on that and flat had him a meal. I preached that. Until 1997 when I went to Israel and found out there's a thing called a locust tree. And it grows a fruit, a big old bean-looking thing about that long. And they, they pour it open and put honey in and eat it to this day. There are some things, brothers and sisters, that we come to the realization that, you know what, Ooh, that's just... Mm -mm. Hallelujah. I, I, you know, I, and there are some things that are, are left up to speculation, Prophecy is left up to speculation when it comes to the end time. I mean, I just don't know if it's Rome anymore. I wonder if it might not be Muslim uh, 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 Islam as being what is going to rise up in the last days. I don't, I, you know. 
But when it comes to absolutes that have been logically and consistently and coherently proven, that have been shown throughout the years, who am I to take my emotions and my feelings because I disagree with how it makes me feel, and then all of a sudden I want to make up my own mind. All right, let's talk about the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. There are, uh, in this segment, I want to share with you five things you can know about truth. Five things you can know about truth that are real when it comes to truth. Number one, truth is knowable. You can know truth. He said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The phrase to know here means absolutely know, to be aware of. To have knowledge, to perceive, be resolved, to be sure of, to understand. You shall understand the truth. I want to tell you that there are some things I only understand by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. I don't understand it by my mental capability or my own reasoning, but I understand it by the power. Of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say truth is knowable. The second thing is truth is transformational. It shall make you, make you. The word phrase here, make you free, means to liberate, to exempt one. It comes from the root to be unrestrained. Amen. As a citizen, not as a slave bound by chains, but as a citizen, I am exempt from the things of slavery of sin. The most grievous bondage that anybody can be under is sin. It makes every area of your life seem totally in chaos. Sin controls and dominates our destiny. It dictates where one goes and who one associates with and how one lives one's life. But when truth shows up and says, I am your savior, when truth shows up and says, if you will repent, amen, and be buried in my name and receive my spirit, I, I want you to be born again of water and of the spirit. You'll know that truth and the truth. It, 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 into the smallest of child can get that. The oldest adult can get that. All of a sudden, it's transformational. How many of you were changed by the power of God when you come to the truth? Changed. It changed your mind. Changed your life. Changed your thinking. Truth is knowable, and it is able to transform you. Number three, truth is objective. Truth is objective. I love what John Maxwell said years ago. I heard him say this in a, in a message. He said, the truth will set you free, but it will probably make you angry first. Truth exists independently of what I think. Truth exists independently of what I think, what I feel. It exists independently of what you think and what you feel. No matter how many degrees I got behind my name, no matter how educated I may, I may be, and, 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 you know, truth exists objectively. It does not change from person to person. It does not change from age to age. It does not change from uh, culture to culture or from uh, country to country. It's not based on emotion or preference or feelings. It is objective. Why? Because he is our truth. Deuteronomy 32 and 4 says he is the God. His work is 
perfect. His work is perfect. Amen. There's no fixing it. There's no wiggle room. It's perfect. In Psalm 18 and 30, as for God, his way is perfect. Hallelujah. Some people say, I'll just let my conscience be my guide. There's a lot of people let their conscience be their guide and they wound up in horrible situations. Your conscience is not an objective standard for right and wrong because conscience usually engages afterward. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all. Your heart will fool you into believing something is right. You have to go back to the word and examine it again. Is it is it consistent? Is it coherent? Do I understand it by experience? Can it be proven? Is it proven again and again? Is this principle something I can stand upon as being the word of God? I don't think God minds for us to test his truth. I don't believe that God minds for us to even question his truth. Amen. To see, is this something I can hang from? Is it something that is a foundation for me? But once I come to the realization that this is truth, then I must embrace it and obey. Uh, I remember the day that Whitney got her Vibe car. I remember that day. She was, it was an exciting day. Bless her heart, she was sick. Didn't feel real good, but went out and Bishop Balls had it sitting in the driveway, and he had some kind of white hoodie thing on, I think, some kind of jacket or something. And that car was just amazing. Still is. Still running. Amen. Woohoo! I don't think she's going to get rid of it until Jesus comes. But if she had walked in, yep. <laughs> if she had walked into that, that uh, car and looked at it, and there was... The power windows, the radio, seats. It's got electric seats. Your seats? No, I don't have electric seats. Okay. But she went in there, but there was no engine. There was no transmission. There was no steering wheel. That thing could be lit up with all kinds of amenities and nice stuff, but if it didn't have standard equipment, it wouldn't be a car. If it didn't have wheels, didn't have a gas tank. Amen. I want to tell you today that there's a lot of people, they want the, the power windows and the power seats and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, you know, the car radio, and they want to be able to, you know, Bluetooth it and all that kind of stuff, you know. But I want to tell you, you can't really have a car if you don't have standard equipment. And truth is objective because it is standard equipment. It's standard equipment when you begin to look at it. So uh, truth is objective. Number four, truth is universal. <clears throat> truth applies to all people, all places. It does not change from culture to culture, from community to community. Amen. That's why there are some things we need to understand that there are cultural things we preach about and we talk about that are very important. And remember what we teach on 1 Corinthians chapter 11 about the hair. Paul talked about things that were cultural and he dealt with things that were cultural for the Corinthians, but he also talked about things that were universal. And there are certain things, brothers and sisters, that we have transferred from being cultural to think it's universal. It doesn't apply in other countries, it applies here. Okay? 
it, it doesn't fit. But then there is truth that is universal that applies here, Philippines, Russia, Africa, Mexico, amen, Seymour. It applies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 54, 5. For the maker is thy husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. He's the God of the earth, universe. He runs it. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all, over all. Government can't be your your standard for truth. Public opinion cannot be your standard for truth. Dominant media cannot be your source for truth. Hollywood cannot be your source of truth. Amen. Universities and schools cannot be your source of truth because they are grossly inconsistent. And now they're moving not upon the, even a science approach, but rather a feeling approach. Number five thing you can know about truth is truth is constant, unchanging, unchanging. From generation to generation, it is unchanging. It is, if the standard is not constant, then we cannot condemn the atrocities of Nazi Germany. I get, can I just be a little personal right now? I get very aggravated when I hear people calling some politician, whether it would be this president or the former president, Hitler. My dad was there. My dad saw firsthand the impact of the uh, concentration camps and the impact of watching Valley being full of white bones, bleached from the sun. Amen. Don't... The way that we can condemn slavery is by truth. The way that we can condemn abortion is by truth. Not feeling, though feelings get involved. The way we preach on marriage being consistent with the word is because it's truth. How arrogant is it for a society to say after hundreds and even thousands of years, this is the way marriage has been defined. All of a sudden, we are now redefining it by our feelings. I'm going somewhere tonight with this, so hang with me. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not, also wisdom and instruction and understanding. All right, let's go to point number four, truth and obedience. Somebody say truth and obedience. Amen. If you put that scripture of John chapter 8 and verse 31, if you'd put that up there, please. Jesus said these words to those Jews which believed. If you continue my word, then are you my disciples indeed and... Somebody say, and you shall know the truth, and truth shall make you free. Truth is not merely to know, it's to be obeyed. If you continue my words, I'm going to show you my truth. If you continue in my words, I'm going to show you my truth. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? 
but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord in his standards, which I command thee this day for thy good. The devil attacked Adam and Eve with their feelings. Wouldn't you like to feel like you're God? Wouldn't you like to, you know what, you're better than this. God's mistreating you. God's mistreating you. I want to talk to you about the power of disobedience as well as of, of dangerous disobedience. Look at the life of the first king of Israel. It delivers for us a vivid picture of what happens when a person decides to simply say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. First Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 1. And Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remembered that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, and ass. Now, a lot of people would look at that and say, look how mean the Bible is. But make no mistake, God had given ample opportunity for grace and mercy even in that day. But understand also that Paul said these things in the Old Testament were written for our example and our learning that we can learn from their actions, their mistakes, and how disobedience can destroy. Look at Samuel. Uh, let's go down to verse number four. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telem, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said, Unto the Canaanites, go and depart ye, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For he showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from the Amalekites. <clears throat> so we find that Saul, he did not refuse. He seemed to obey God's command, didn't he? There was a call to action. There's a blatant, uh, there's no blatant sign of rebellion. Amen. There, there, there is a mission priority. He's not procrastinating. He's not giving excuses. He's not saying I'm too busy, but he gets busy. There's a clear mission, a clear mandate. And so Saul and the Israeli army march to Amalek. Saul and the armies of Israel then go and they destroy everybody except Agag the king of the Amalekites. Saul does everything except destroy the sheep that he wants to save for sacrifice. So here is Saul doing everything look like the right way, except. <coughs> he does 99% obedience. Perhaps Saul reasoned things through and said, you know what, I feel like that this king should be left. I'll bring him as an example. I feel like the best animals ought to be left for sacrifice. After all, they're going to die anyway. We might as well let them die in the service of the Lord. 
God's response to this half, not even, it's just a little bit of, of disobedience is in, in 1 Samuel 15, 11, it repenteth me that I set up Saul to be king for he turned back from following me for he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. Saul's 99% obedience garnered this response from God. He has turned back from me. When truth is revealed to you and truth becomes open to you and it has been proven consistent and it has a coherent tone to it, and it's been something that has been preached and shown by experience to be a, a, a truth, and then all of a sudden I decide I'm going to follow it up to a point. Then the next thing I begin to find myself is in consequence. Truth has consequence. When I begin to know truth and I don't follow truth, then truth has consequence. How many of you have ever told your child, don't touch that hot iron? Somebody say that's a truth. It's consistent, coherent. It's been proven and testable. And it's also experiential. Hallelujah. We told that to Whitney one time and she touched the iron. We told her many times, but she touched it as a little child. One time touched it, but how many times did you touch it after that? Zero. But there are things that can come to our life and we understand them as truth. But if we're not careful in this culture, we'll get sucked into the feeling mentality. I like that, but I don't really feel it. I see that, but I don't really, that's not my preference. It's not my preference. It's not my desire. And that, you know, don't, make me, don't make me happy, so it must not be right. But let me just tell you, there are consequences when there's disobedience to truth. Just ask Adam and Eve. One bite for man became a giant fall for mankind. One bite for man became a giant fall for mankind. Just ask Samson who would not stay away from Delilah. He lost his sight, his career was over, and ultimately he lost his life. Ask, ask King Uzziah, his disobedience in worship when he burnt incense and should not have done it, became a leper and lost his throne and lost his life. Ask David that one lustful look led to a one-night stand of pleasure, adultery and murder, shame, and a lifetime of suffering followed. Just ask Achan, Amen. Who took just a few things for his own financial well-being. Nobody will miss them. But God had said that all of Jericho belongs to me. Amen. And after that, there were several Israelites that died at Ai. God shows us that if truth is not followed, there will be consequences. I want to tell you today that there are some times that we disobey truth and it may not even impact our life up front. But there is a little child that's watching you. There is a brother or sister that is watching you. There is a, 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 a sibling that is watching you. There is an aunt or an uncle that's watching you. There is a, a cousin or a grandparent. There's somebody watching you that may be impacted by that for the rest of their life. Achan thought, this is just for me. I feel like it's just it's okay. But all of Israel suffered because of that. On the other hand, 
when there is right choices connected to truth, you will find that David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul, but yet he assumed rather a humble spirit until it was his time that God exalted him to prominence. When you find that Joseph refused to sleep with his boss's wife, went to jail, but rather he came to his destiny because of that. When you find men like Daniel that said, I am going to keep myself and later became a man of renown because that he obeyed truth. Now truth is absolute and truth has consequences. But truth has another partner I want to show you about. Truth has another partner. Truth has grace. Say that with me. Truth has grace. John 1.14 and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen, full of grace and truth. The glory of the Father is the fullness of grace and truth personified in Jesus Christ. Grace is the unmerited favor of God, and truth is the clear reality of God. Grace and truth are linked together in Jesus. The revelation of God's glory is in this great paradox of grace and truth. Truth said this is right, but grace steps in and says, yes, but I'll cover. Truth says you were wrong, and yes, I was, but grace steps in and says I've got you covered amen many people today only want grace and ignore truth but I want to tell you I would never know grace if I hadn't known truth I would never know the deliverance from sin if I didn't know how bad my sin was some people focus on truth alone and they're quick to judge amen and they're quick to point finger but thank God for the grace of God that abounds the apostle Paul said he knew the grace of God in truth according to Colossians 1 and 6 he knew the grace of God in truth I wouldn't know grace if it wasn't for truth the psalmist declared 25 and 10 that all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. He later stated this powerful, powerful word in 85 and 10 of Psalms. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth says you're wrong. Truth says you're out of order. Truth says this is, this is right and wrong. But grace steps in and mercy steps in and says, I know that, uh, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to help you. Uh, hallelujah. Proverbs 16 and 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. I would not know grace if I hadn't known truth. Paul said, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounds, grace. When you have Jesus who's full of grace and truth, you will find that he looks at a woman that was called in adultery and say, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. When you find Jesus full of grace and truth, he will say to a paralyzed man who truthfully was paralyzed, son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Rise and walk. Jesus, full of grace and truth, would say to a thief hanging on the cross next to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The thief, the robber, that the law had called him and said he was guilty. Truth reveals the sinful condition of the woman at the well. You've had five husbands, Jesus said, and the one you're living with now is not your own. 
But on the other hand, he says, grace will cover you in living water, in living water. Hallelujah. And later on, Jesus stays two more days and many more believed at his word. Truth tells us who we are and what we've done. Truth tells us where we are and where we're going. Truth warns us. Truth shows up and tells us that we're lost without God. Truth reveals sin. But grace comes along and says, I know what you did, but I've got what you need. See, the thing of it is, is that we often find people that have messed up in life They've done something horrible and despicable. And we hold it against them, even if they've repented and made it right. We hold it against them. We hold them against them. There's going to be a day I'm going to need grace. It's going to be a day that I'm going to need grace. I pray to God, the Lord help me be gracious until that day comes. Hallelujah. Would you stand me, please? Can I point you to Romans 6 and 22? 6 and 22, please. Read Romans 5, 6. Great passages of Scripture on grace and mercy. But Romans 6, 22 says, And being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin, somebody say truth, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to tell you today that of all the major religions in the world, there is only one that has a Savior. Do you know that the Islam religion frowns on people researching about Muhammad? They frown on it. You know, they don't want you digging around on Buddha. But Jesus says, go study about me. Go look up about me. He is the only Savior. The truth is, if I want to be saved, he has provided a way. Hallelujah. His name, oh, is the way to salvation because he went to a cross, died there for my sin, Sin points out, truth points out sin, but Jesus says, hold on a second. I'll just stop in, step in. Hallelujah. Lord, we love you today. Lord, we praise you today. I want to talk to somebody this evening and say, oh, you may be on a path where you have decided you're going to disobey truth. You're going to disobey what the Lord has already revealed to you. Be careful, be cautious, because there are consequences to that. But should you find yourself in that consequence, oh, my friend, would you call on the Lord? Would you call on the Lord? But before it's too late, align yourself with truth. Align yourself with righteousness. Hallelujah, Lord, today we thank you for truth. Would you just thank the Lord for truth and grace today? Would you thank the Lord for truth and mercy today? Would you thank the Lord today for the reality that such was some of us, such were some of us. Some of us were messed up. Some of us were in such horrible states, but the Lord has come along and brought to us salvation. Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you today. Lord, we magnify you today. Oh, we love you. Thank you for joining us today. 
We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Thank you.